0: PlushCare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hello and welcome to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. And as always, if you'd like to reach us, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPL Roundtable at gmail.com.
2: Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a palace fan site by fans for fans. You can catch us on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak.
3: I'm Steve McGookin, and I'm a former chairman of New York Spurs, and you can follow them at NYSpurs.com. And I'm also, uh, for my pains, uh, a long-suffering Northern Ireland fan, and you can follow me on Twitter at Steve McGookin.
1: All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, First, we're just going to kind of do a pseudo-making the rounds and just discuss how our nations have fared in their most recent fixtures. We'll start with Jay. Obviously, Harry Kane not on the scoring form that many would like. But what did you see at the England match?
2: Yeah, oh, it was just a professional performance. Really, wasn't particularly anything spe- special um, from England. But it's you know a hundred percent record. Um, in the qualifying, which which is great. I mean, you're you're dealt your hand of cards uh, early, and you know which teams you're going to play, and uh, and and we've done pretty well against them, to be fair. And you, it's the old adage, isn't it? You can only you can only beat who's in front of you, and that's exactly what we've done. I think it's been an impressive qualifying campaign. Um, like I mentioned, very professional. I think there's a lot of negativity around England at the moment um, in terms of the international team and the fans, and it, it's all well and good qualifying for a competition, but what can we do in the competition? I think a lot of people are generally um, holding on to what's happened in previous competitions, particularly the World Cup in Brazil. Um, but for me, you know, it's it's a it's a new start. It's quite fresh. You know, same same manager, yes. But we've bloodied quite a few different players in, you know, going into this tournament. It's in Europe. Um, it's over in France, so it's not far away. It's not as fast travelled as Brazil. Um, so for me, I'm looking forward to it. I like the the buzz of a big tournament um, and the fact that we've qualified really well. I'm, I'm guessing we could be one of the seeded sides. Um, but for me, it's fantastic to see some of the uh, some of the home nations joining us uh, over there. Particularly Wales. It was really odd watching Wales yesterday. He lost to Bosnia. Um, but um, the realisation that they actually, you know, their qualification had been secured uh, by Cyprus winning in the other, um, in, you know, in the other game was um, was fantastic. I mean, from from one minute losing the game and the, you know the emotion that comes with that, and then straight away realising that they've qualified and it's just complete. Um, you know, ecstatic reaction and, uh, you know, the fans and the players Like, I've got a soft spot for Wales because we have a few players playing for them, you know, from Palace. We have mm. Wayne Hennessy, Joe Ledley, who's a bearded genius. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the vine that's going around of him celebrating um, after the game, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And also our, our young prodigy, John, Johnny Williams, was back on the bench yesterday. So, and, and obviously, you know, former player, one of my favourite ever players to play for Palace, Chris Coleman in charge of Wales. It's just a it's just a group of players which work so hard for each other. You know, some of them have you know Graf Bale is one of the best in the world, obviously Aaron Ramsey. But you know, other than that, you've got players that just you know work as a team, and it's fantastic to see. Also, you know, Steve's got such Northern Ireland as well, Republic could go through. It, it it's you know it's, it's it's great. I think for me, but you know, England, I'm 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 a happy England fan. We've done what we needed to do. Um, it remains to see what we can do in, in, in next summer, but I'm I'm hopeful.
1: Uh, just, yeah. just as for a fun stat, uh, Netherlands also made it through the twenty twelve Euro stages unscathed, only to be dumped in the first round. So, just just a tale of <laughs> where, warning. Yeah, where where, where where are the Netherlands this time, Mark? Oh. oh, we'll get to that. Uh,
3: <laughs> you know, it, it's funny you should mention that because I think there's a there's a bigger question about how much of a challenge the qualifying stages are and how mm. much that prepares you for. You know, coming up against the bigger teams when you actually get to the finals. But as far as I'm concerned, guys, I'm I couldn't be more ecstatic uh, mm-hmm. than I have been the last week. I, I've been in Belfast the last week or so. And uh, obviously couldn't get a ticket for, for Thursday night's game against Greece, because uh, well, partly because they were sold out months ago, but also, um, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Windsor Park, where, where Northern Ireland Play is, is being renovated at the moment so that the capacity is diminished. But that didn't take away from from any of the atmosphere there. It was just an incredible night. Uh, and it's an amazing when you think about it. This is a country of under 2 million people. Uh, with with a basically a semi professional domestic league, no, no stars, not many stars. We haven't qualified for for a major for the finals of a major tournament since the nineteen eighty six World Cup, and that's fourteen field qualifying campaigns. And for a, for a lot of them, we were basically the whipping boy of of you know whatever group we happen to be drawn into. And it's essentially like this is this is your Sunday morning pub team getting into the Champions League. Um, but let let me just. Briefly tell you absolutely why we deserve to be there. And, um, and, and when the draw was made all those months ago, it was like <clears throat> the, it, it, we thought it was a pretty tough group. You know, Romania, Hungary, uh, Greece, who'd, who'd won the Euros not, not that long ago. We thought, you know, even the most optimistic of us thought that, that the best we might be able to hope for was, <clears throat> was maybe a battle for, for third place and a, and a playoff spot. But now, after tonight, we another battling draw out in Helsinki, and we we got a point in order to top the group, and that's like exceeded all of our dreams. It's it's been amazing, and, and I think there's three reasons for that. And and Jay touched on it a little bit with Wales, but but first of all, it's the players and the way the players play for each other. It's the, uh, the mixture of uh, the the squad that we have is a. a, a, a a set of basically journeyman-capable players from the Premier League, the likes of Chris Brunt, Gareth McCauley, uh, Captain Steve Davis, who sort of pulls everything together, uh, allied with a group of players who aren't familiar to everybody. I mean, Josh McGuinness, who scored against Greece the other night, Everybody, I think, now knows his story. A converted goalkeeper uh, playing in Kilmarnock. Um, another striker, Liam Boyce, is is sort of playing very well for Ross County at the moment. Uh, young players like Ollie Norwood, who's who started at uh, Manchester United, now plays for Reading. These are, these are players who are coming together to play as a team. And I don't think you can actually quantify that in a way that that makes sense in the broader scope of analyzing um, football performance. But the other the other couple of elements to that are Michael O'Neill, the manager. Um, after a very shaky start, you know, we, we hired him uh, 2011, I think it was. Uh, it got off to a shaky start, but managed to right the ship. We had a couple of um classic performances one against portugal one against russia that's essentially what northern ireland used to be about we were we were about these one off incredible results against england or against portugal or whatever against spain germany you know we could raise our game for those sorts of games but but in order to um maintain that over a qualifying period was just beyond us. But the most important thing, again, going back to what you said, Jay, is just this this pride, this passion, this team spirit, this belief in themselves that this group of players can achieve anything. and And playing to your strengths, organizing your team so you play to your strengths that you don't you don't get above yourself. You never expect that you're going to go out and teach the other team a lesson. You always go out and you think this is a competition. This is we we have to compete to get anything out of this. And I think that's been the most the most remarkable thing throughout this uh this qualifying campaign.
2: Steve, what's what what do you think's been the difference this time around? I mean, you mentioned there's been fourteen failed qualifying campaigns for yeah. this. Northern yeah. Ireland have always deemed to be no offense, but the whipping boys of a group you know the the lowest ranked side in a in a group or or, or the one above that yeah. is there a feeling that you know that, that there's been a real change this year or, or for this tournament or this qualifying campaign even
3: i think i think for this particular campaign we really got off to a very good start i think the other teams were in a bit of disarray to start off with and we were very lucky in that we played a lot of our away games. It was sort of front-loaded, so a lot of the away games were uh, were in the first part of the qualifying. Jay, so going away to Hungary, getting a great performance, you know, going away and and getting the points that we needed and scoring away from home, actually set us up with this incredible belief that that uh, that we you know had a, had a confidence when we when we played teams at Windsor. So I think in a way. A lot of the previous campaigns, and I, I've been, unfortunately been around for a while, a lot of the previous campaigns, we were we were basically out of it by the third or fourth game. A mm. couple of poor performances, you know, we got hammered by somebody and then that's pretty much it. And so mm. you're going through the motions for the rest of the campaign. But I think definitely for this, for this qualifying group, the fact that we had such a good start was priceless, absolutely priceless. And then the belief started to grow. And of course, I, I can't i can't go without mentioning the incredible support the green and white army the fans that that follow this team all over europe and and just give them this incredible loyal support it's amazing and as much as anything else these fans deserve to go and wreak havoc in france next year
2: (laughs) yes but i have to say it's brilliant to watch i mean um, it, you know, I, I'm not a biggest fan of Scotland, but it would have been fantastic to see them <laughs> uh, them re- reach the, reach the tournament as well. But <laughs> yeah, I think it would have been between them and Republic of Ireland anyway. So um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the fans have been terrific. You know, all the way across the the, the home. Night. Watching the Welsh fans yeah. um, celebrate with the uh, the Welsh players last night was just you know, was,
3: yeah. Oh,
2: very, a Very that's very that's special fantastic. moment indeed. Yeah, I know a lot of Welsh. Uh, Walsh fans and um, they're, they're absolutely yeah, pretty hungover this morning but uh, yeah no it's great to see it's great to see these nations doing you know qualifying for a, for a tournament yeah. such as that next year I know it's been made a little bit bigger but I think you know the bigger the better for me
3: absolutely and I, and I think the one thing that struck me also watching watching wheels celebrate last night was these teams this is like the the, the anti-establishment anti-corporate mm face of football. I mean, it was ironic that, that our victory over Greece uh, on Thursday, you know, came the day after Blatter and Platini were suspended by FIFA. And this is, you know, Northern Ireland's success story this year mm. is about as far removed from mm. from the decadence and the rottenness that uh, of FIFA as you can possibly imagine. And it's like, you get the sense that, you know, if, if our weak country can do what they did and on the back of that sort of belief and, and, and love of the game, then mm. there's, there's hope for football at the end of it.
2: Very. And this is a Greek team or, or a country that won the tournament less well just over 10 years ago. So. Right.
1: Exactly. Crazy. exactly. crazy. Speaking of teams that used to be good, uh, <laughs> I guess I'll talk about the Netherlands now. <laughs> um, oh, so crazy. 2-1 victory over Kazakhstan, conceding in the 95th minute. Uh, of what wasn't nearly as dominant a performance as it should have been. Uh, Coming into the international break, what needed to happen was Czech Republic beat Turkey, and then us beat the Czech Republic, and then odds are we'd be in uh, either with a permanent spot or with a a playoff spot at the very worst. But Turkey won. Uh, Czech Republic still locked up a spot, uh, and so now... What needs to happen for Netherlands to make a playoff spot is Netherlands has to win and Turkey has to lose to Iceland. And the problem with that is that I don't have confidence watching Netherlands anymore. It's gone. And people keep asking, you know, this was the third best team in the world Mm
4: -hmm. at the last
1: World Cup. And it's just not anymore. The, I, I know there have been reports coming out that Robin Van Persie isn't enjoying his time in Turkey, and it shows because much like U.S. presidents, he went into Turkey with like salt and pepper hair, and now it's just straight gray. It's just, the, it's clearly, the pressures of the office have clearly gotten to him. He's not where he, he used to be, you know, just a year ago, two years ago. Uh, Aryan Robin still dealing with injuries. It's not as great. Snyder, fortunately, showed up yesterday, but hasn't been as great throughout qualification. The defense has been in shambles. And there was a stat that was shown uh, at the beginning of the broadcast, and it was the amount of uh, Netherlands appearances had by each of the players, and it was either less than 20 or more than 80. Mm-hmm. There's like There's this missing generation that... I, myself included, kind of failed to recognize coming, out, coming off the last World Cup, you're like, all right, well, our older players are still just oldish, like 30 to 32. Maybe they'll still be around by the Euros. Maybe they'll be around by the following World Cup. And then you have this young crop of really exciting players like your Winyaldums and your Depais and Anwar Algazi, who I, I do rate very highly. Quincy Promis as well. And so you're like, okay, well, this is a very exciting young side with just enough experience to get them through. But what we've seen in this tournament is that the youth is too young and too inexperienced and doesn't know how to carry the team themselves, and the older players have either been hurt or ineffective. And so you just get this kind of dawdling Netherlands side, struggling under two different managers, uh, and there's just no sign of improvement. There's not. It, It, unfortunately, is 11 people wearing an orange shirt, much more than it is a team. Uh, and and we've, we've dealt with this in the past with the Dutch where you know, it can get a little... There's sometimes animosity in that dressing room and there's kind of groups that are pitted against each other. And the worst thing is there aren't even groups. It's literally just everyone for themselves. And it shows in the play. Memphis Depay has sent in more wonderful crosses during this campaign than I've ever seen. But nobody's ever at the end of it. You have Klaas Jan Huntelaar and Robin Van Persie and, and at times Bastos, and at times Luke de Jong. All of whom, six foot plus, by the way, you'd think that one of them would be able to poach a goal. You'd think Klaas Jan Huntelaar, whose entire career has been poaching goals, would be able to do so. And he hasn't. And it's just inexcusable. And it's, it kind of feels like uh, Tottenhamie, where we don't succeed in the Europa League, but demand to be in the Champions League. And it feels like that with the Dutch side right now. So many people are like, oh, well, they'll find a way into the tournament. They deserve to be in the tournament. No, they don't. This Dutch side is not good enough to play in that tournament. It's just not. There are a lot of problems with it. I stated a few. I'm sure there are many more. Danny Blint, I'm not sure, is actually a good managerial candidate. Yeah. I realize that there is no one else and that we're just trying to like, plot along until we can get a couple of the other Dutch legends through <laughs> their like A-levels and stuff to
0: get into management.
1: Uh, I was
3: going to ask you, Kevin, what's, what's the outlook? I mean, What's your, what's your under-21 situation?
1: Oh, well, the, the young talent is everywhere. It's really good. Uh, can, we continue to poach Moroccan players like it's our job, um, <laughs> which is great because they're really good and young. Uh, Anwar Al Ghazi just mentioned one of them. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole youth setup is fine, but we thought that we had this bridge from the last World Cup to this Euros, and then by the time we made it to Russia, then these young kids would already be established. But it's, it's just not the case. And the... The problem is is that some of the older players aren't leadership figures. They're not like Robin van Persie has been captain for like the last three years. He, he doesn't strike me really as a captain figure. Schneider is kind of lone wolfy. Robin, he's not going to pass it unless he has to, or if his left leg gets chopped off. It, it's it's not a good example for a whole bunch of young kids. And Louis Van Gaal, to his credit, you know we've heard a lot of his crazy stories at Munich, uh, but. He was able to command a group of kind of wandering people, and now that's gone. And so there's nobody to hold people accountable. So it's just go out there, do your best. You look at the 11 names, they should be winning every match, and they don't. They just don't. So uh, am I hoping that Netherlands make it into the Euros? Yes. Am I expecting it? No. Do 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 I think they'll do well if they make it into the tournament? No. No, I do not. So... It'll be an adventure, especially because, best case, they'd be, what, a third seed? Uh, it's it's not very good. So, uh, all in all, very, very disappointing from the Dutch, and not much sign of it turning around anytime soon.
2: I've just actually read that uh, Tim Krull's been uh, ruled out for the season with a cruciate knee ligament wow. injury. Wow. So, I, mean, I hate to
1: do this, but but anybody know the backup? Is it Newcastle? Uh,
2: oh. Isn't it that young kid? I think there's a uh, young mm. kid um, that came through because they, they got rid of um, Harper's gone, has not he? So, not, mm. not, quite, not quite sure. Not quite sure. But that will yeah. impact yeah, that, on them, obviously, yeah, as well.
1: Yeah, that's obviously mm. detrimental. Sillison, obviously, feeling the effects of injury as well. So, yeah. <laughs> Michelle Form. It's his time to step yeah. up. Yeah.
3: yeah, Kevin, it's really interesting that you're, you mentioned Van Persie a lot there, and and really, when you look at the other goal scorers that, that Holland have at their disposal, it's it's astonishing that, uh, I mean, for example, Kyle Lafferty, uh, who has basically scored in almost every game for us in this qualifying campaign, uh, he's on the same number of goals scored as, as uh, Zlatan and, and Wayne Rooney and only behind um, uh, Lewandowski and, and Thomas Muller. And I wondered... You know, is it just as simple as your uh, your forwards just misfiring?
1: Uh, it's a part of it. I, I mean, neither Van Persie or Huntelaar massively relied on pace at any stage in their career. But what they had is being lost quite quickly. Uh, Bastos, I don't think, is the answer. I don't think either Luke or CM De Jong is the answer. So, is forward now suddenly the weakness of this team? Yes. Uh, there's yeah. much more defensive talent than there has been in a Dutch side in ages, but a lot of them aren't there yet. Stefan De Vrij is probably the closest. Um, like, Wesley Holt isn't there yet. And uh, Van Dijk has has been fairly impressive. Uh, I think it it would... Uh, I, I would be remiss in not mentioning that Ron Vlaar is also still out with injury and did yeah. captain the side uh, at the last World Cup. And I, I think that, that that kind of stability... I mean, it's... I hate to keep bringing it back to Tottenham, but you know, that's a thing I know well. And it's kind of the inconsistency that the Dutch used to be very consistent, but now it's just going to be random because it's how many of those individual plays can link to make a goal because it's Mm. very rarely a team move. And yeah, a huge part of that is that there's not a clear striker. And I think Rakairo Zivkovic isn't as close as we thought he was to being the next answer for the Dutch up front. I think he's just 20 still. And so, yeah, that is a massive concern. I I very much wouldn't be surprised if we kind of started looking at Depay as as kind of a striker in the Dutch setup, just because there aren't better options. Um, I know Dost played well last year for Wolfsburg, but it hasn't translated. Um, So, yeah, the forwards misfiring is definitely a big part of it. And, you know, they aren't getting chances a whole lot. Uh, to miss the chances, save for you know a lot of balls in from Depay. I know the right-wing spot has been kind of an issue ever since Robin's been out. I mentioned Quincy Promise has been over there. Anwar Al Ghazi just got his first start. I think they're both promising going forward, but again, they're not there now. Will they be there by 2018? Probably. Uh, but yeah, it's just not very encouraging. So the forward's definitely an issue. The midfield has been an issue. I, th- this Dutch side has been crying out for Kevin Strootman ever since he got injured at Roma. What, a year and a half ago? Two years now? Mm-hmm. Jordi Classy still injured for Southampton. Another very pivotal, <laughs> pardon the joke, um, <laughs> midfielder for that Dutch side. It's, it's, just, it's just very disappointing. And it, it does seem like a whole lot of things have gone the wrong way. But you still have to take your chances when you get them. And, and the Dutch just have not.
2: It must be a concern heading into the World Cup qualifiers that you haven't got a, you know, a, a squad of players that are either not together or just not, not there or not with the manager or, or, or personality clashes, whatever it may be. Um, you know, there there could be a real feeling that um, you'll struggle to qualify for you know for, for that World Cup in Russia.
1: Mm. Yeah, you you you'd hope with the wider field. That you'd be able to get through but i know like a lot of european sides struggle more in world cup qualifying and, and I, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me here there is a lack of direction for sure and the i think a big problem in any sports organization if, is if there can be multiple scapegoats and mm. there's mm. a lot of that going on right now a lot of people calling for danny Blin's head a lot of people saying that he inherited a flawed problem, so that's fine. A lot of people calling for Van Nistelrooy to already take over. That would be three, man- four managers in a year uh, since Van Gaal left to take the United job. Uh, you can blame the older players, which I just have. You can blame the younger players for lacking the experience, which I just have. And so there's, <laughs> there, if, if there's that many things that people can point to, that means that there is an overabundance of issues. And you could solve two of those and still miss the World Cup. Uh Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully it turns around by then. I think the likes of Depay, Claes, and Van Dyke will all benefit from being in the Premier League as opposed to being in Netherlands, um, kind of playing a stronger game, uh, which which should translate better to international success. I know Depay hasn't absolutely lit the Premier League on fire just yet, but you know we're talking years from now. We're talking hopefully two years. So I I think it'll be okay. Hopefully with every extremity crossed. <laughs> Uh, is is there yeah, any players that
2: have, um, that have announced their retirement from international football because of this? Uh, Rafa. Uh, uh,
1: but that was kind of after the last World Cup. Yeah. Uh, Vandervaard now at Real Batiste, where he's linked up with uh, West Bromwich Albion favorite Pepe Mel. Uh, <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: but yeah. And, and it kind of did blow my mind that Van Persie yesterday got his 100th appearance. And Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Vandervaard have his 100th appearance by the time he came to Tottenham? Yeah,
3: I think so. I think that's right.
1: Yeah. That's absolutely nuts. That That's how far ahead he was, but often second choice to the likes yeah. of Snyder. So. Yeah, anyway. the, two,
3: the two players, I mean, it's funny you, you should say that. I mean, the two players that I really wish we had signed, we as in Spurs had signed two years before we did were Van, per- uh, Van Persie, Van Der Vaart <laughs> and, uh, and Edgar Davids, who, yeah. you know, both brought an incredible... Um, uh, passion for the game to uh, to White Hartley and I just wish we'd, we'd been able to get them earlier
2: and went yeah, on to sure. play for Palace as well
3: hey
1: <laughs> alright uh, Well, we will uh, quickly end this on uh, which player was kind of the man of the qualifying <laughs> that's a horrible <laughs> sentence but you know what I'm talking about, who was the player that was most influential in your side uh, qualifying for Euro 2016 we'll start with Jay for me, I
2: think it's got to be Wayne Rooney. I mean, um, it's probably easy to say because he got the record, but I think he has a different role to play for England than he does for Manchester United. He seems to struggle, sorry, struggling in a Man United side at the moment, or has been for. Well, for about eighteen months, two years now, um, still gets games. But obviously, for England, he, you know, he's deemed to be the main man, and he does that job well. You know, he works well with the rest of the team, and and he got the record, uh, you know, goal scoring record. So I think he's been, yeah, kind of a pinnacle for the team, you know, in this qualifying campaign, as he has done in in previous ones. Um, you know, it's it's been great to see a few different players, uh, you know, making appearances during the qualifying campaign, which will which has blooded them. The likes of Harry Kane, which you know, we can obviously bring in, uh, you know, along Alongside Rooney, or in places, of Rooney, different places. But, you know, the form of different players, such as Walcott, that, uh, you know, score goals. For me, it's a real shame about Luke Shaw because I think this summer, this season, he was starting to. Um, you know, have a bit of luck with injuries, obviously, until that terrible uh, injury that he did receive. But he was getting a run in the United side; he was looking good for England as well. I have to say, um, you know, felt sorry for the lad because it's you know, a relatively young player hasn't had much luck with injuries, and you know, to yeah, go against that him would, as well. Yeah, Will uh, definitely
1: be an interesting one as Danny Rose mm. has lost his spot to Ben Davis and Kieran Gibbs mm. has lost his job to Nacho Monreal. It'll mm. be interesting to see who really claims that spot for themselves.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean. I think England have got a lot of players to call upon. It sounds like a silly comment, but I think there's a lot of players playing well in the Premier League. Um, for me, I'm 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 absolutely gobsmacked that Scott Dan hasn't had a lot look in at centre back mm-hmm. because he's been outstanding yeah. for us for the past three seasons. Um, you know, it's when when you get the likes of John Stones dropping out for injury um, this week, um, and they call up Carl um, your your fallback Kev Cottonbury's name. It's escaped me, but. It's, it's a, it, Which one? No, the other guy. Dan uh, oh, Davis? Kyle Walker? Yeah, Kyle Walker. Yeah, he, <laughs> was, he was called up. <laughs> no, um, yeah. yeah, Kyle Walker was called up uh, in place of John Stones. I just sometimes think, what? Uh, what yeah. Scott Dan's got to do to get in, you know, to get, to, he, he may well get a call up, you know, in some of the friendly games in the tournament. But yeah, you know, it's a real shame. I feel sorry for the, you know, for the player himself. For me, selfishly, I'm glad that Palace players aren't being called up, so I could just see one of them getting injured <laughs> <laughs> and out for a while. But but for the players, I mean, you know, Scott Dan for me is one where I'm yeah you know, disappointed not to see him get any any sort of recognition. Uh, at all, but may- maybe that's around the corner. But yeah, uh, my player um, of the qualifying campaign is 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 Rooney. Yeah.
3: Uh, I right, think Steve, from-
1: you mentioned yeah, you mentioned Kyle Lafferty. Yeah, he'd be yeah, up there. It's,
3: really hard. it's hard to ignore him. I mean, here's a guy you know can't can't get a game for Norwich City for goodness sake, and yet is banging them in with the elite of European football. I mean, the kid has been. He's been incredible for us. He really has been a match winner, literally a match winner on many occasions. But I actually think um, that our most important player is Steve Davis. Uh, he basically makes everything tick in the middle of the park. Whenever you need somebody with a with an old head to be able to just put their foot on the ball and control the pace of the game, uh, there, there are a few players better than him, and his vision is fantastic. And I, I think playing, you know, especially alongside somebody like Oli. Norwood, who who's a willing runner, who also has that vision, who can look and see where a pass is on. Uh, I think Norwood's going to be a better player by you know playing alongside Davis. But at the end of the day, you know the the, the most important member of the team is the green and white army, the twelfth man, the the supporters who give give the team the sort of belief in themselves that uh, that I think they needed at certain parts along points along the uh, along the qualifying trail. But uh, on the whole i mean it it was just a fantastic team effort from from everybody
1: yeah and and for another one's i mentioned him a couple times memphis depay has just absolutely played his heart out and nobody's done anything to really help him um Jeannie Winyaldum has put in a couple good performances but if you're kind of looking at the breadth of it i think depay has to be there and this was kind of my criticism of Brazil at the last World Cup when everybody had very similar questions. What happened to Brazil? If you look at Brazil throughout their history, Neymar should never be more than like their third best player. And mm. he's right now their superstar. And that's how it is for Netherlands right now. Memphis Depay should be the third or fourth best Dutch player on a good Dutch team. And right now he's mm. the star. He's the person carrying play. And I, I think that kind of speaks to kind of the, the dearth of options at the moment. So... Anyway, uh Netherlands not in in the situation they are due to any sins of Memphis Depay who who has performed very admirably throughout this and uh, hopefully doesn't allow kind of this disappointment to, to foster into his uh, Premier League campaign. All right, and with that we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time.
2: Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm J I'm editor of the Eaglesbeat.com. Uh, we cover Palace obviously, but we also cover the Palace Ladies. Uh, football in general really and we've got a lot a lot of writers great team behind us so by all means check out all the uh, articles that have been online this past week, there's it, there's plenty of good ones there. I also work on a team, uh, the Back Net football show actually for a local community radio Suzy Radio, um, you can catch it online it's on every Thursday 7 till 9 we cover local football which includes Palace but we also talk Premier League international football and have a bit of fun with some games and that as well so um, that's a new project for me and it's going really well so thanks for listening, you can catch me mostly on the eagles beak um, on twitter at the eagles beak
3: i have no projects to, <laughs> to plug other than uh, do check out nyspurs.com that's the new york spurs supporters club and uh, uh if anybody's coming through town and wants to see a match with us by all means drop us a note and i will see you all in france next year
1: ready to pop the question All right. Well, thanks so much to our previous guests. Now we move on to the great Kieran Tavum, where we're going to be talking some about women's football. Kieran, it's obviously been a while since the Women's World Cup, which we got to cover, fortunately, with a merger between EPL Index and PlayTaga for the summer. What's been happening in women's football, not to be too broad, since the uh, Women's World Cup?
5: God, where do you start? Lots, lots, my friend. Um, I mean, obviously, from, from a A league perspective, the the FA Women's Super League in in England has now come to a close. That finished uh, just last week with Chelsea ladies gaining their first ever league title, uh, pipping Manchester City women uh, on the final weekend of the season. That's the third year in a row that the English league has gone down to the final day. Uh, For those that follow the American game, the NWSL, uh, FC Kansas City won their second consecutive title. Uh, They beat the Seattle Reign in Portland, for the second season running, uh, Seattle came out on top in the league campaign, winning the, uh, the the supporters shield. But for the second year running, it was FC Kansas City who came out on top. And we've also just had the UEFA Women's Champions League kick off as well. That kicked off um, just this past week. And uh, the, the big names in across Europe are, are all there. The likes of Frankfurt, who are the current holders, Wolfsburg, Lyon, Paris Saint-Germain, you name it, they're in there. So, yeah, lots going on. It would be difficult for me to kind of give a a brief overview because there's so much that's happening but those are kind of the key things and and obviously as well on the international scene euro 2017 qualifiers have started as well uh, they're very early on and uh, some teams have have already opened their fixtures there as well
1: yeah i know uh, on twitter uh, we kind of jested about uh the netherlands men's struggles and how that isn't an issue for the women as uh netherlands are the hosts for the next uh euro so They'll obviously qualify. Um, uh, Another kind of storyline interested to get your take on is the retirement of Celia Sasich, who was the the golden boot winner at the Women's World Cup. Uh, How do you think that will impact club and country?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting one, Celia's retirement. I spoke to Colin Bell just before the World Cup, and he wasn't really sure what Celia's position was going to be. She'd uh, essentially decided not to extend her contract and it would have made her a free agent after the world cup and clearly we now know that the reason she didn't extend that contract wasn't because she was trying to be a rebel so to say and and move to another club she ran it down and didn't extend it because she in the back of her mind probably thought she was going to retire it's incredible to think isn't it that a player who can win a golden boot at a a world cup just a few weeks later as well yeah and, and 27 years old, she's just won a, a, a golden boot of the World Cup. She was also named the best player in Europe, uh, the UEFA best player in Europe. Uh, she beat off competition from teammate Jennifer Marijan and, and French midfielder Amadine Henri. So she's at the top of her game and, and she's decided to call it a day. Um, it's not uncommon in women's football, unfortunately. You will have seen or may may or may not have seen in, in the NWSL. A few players in the States have announced their retirement. Mariah Bullock, who some will know as Mariah Neguerra, has announced her retirement in the last few days. Um, Lauren Holiday will be retiring at the end of the year a real legend in American football, Shannon Box, another one. Granted, Shannon's a little bit older, but, you know, these are big names that are are are, are coming out of the game. And and there's various reasons for it. You know, players want to start families. That's certainly why Lauren Holiday has retired and my understanding is that Celia maybe wants to go down that route as well and it's difficult to juggle the demands of of being a mum and wanting to play football at the highest level so it's going to have a massive impact because she's a world-class player Um, Frankfurt haven't necessarily been able to replace her like for like and it's very difficult to do so because they don't have the financial power of a Bayern Munich or a Wolfsburg Um, the German national team will no doubt uh, have, it will have an effect on them because you're taking a player out of the equation who scores goals for fun. So yeah, it is going to have an effect, and it came as a surprise to everyone. But at the same time, maybe wasn't a surprise to to her teammates because they will have known in you know known her better than than we do and, and what was going through her mind.
1: Yeah, it's obviously a, a tough choice, especially in the women's game that we obviously don't really see much in the men's game. Uh, you mentioned there uh, the beginning of the Women's Champions League, and mentioned a few teams there. Uh, wh- which teams do you think are like the legitimate contenders that could walk away with that title?
5: I'd love to say Frankfurt again. Um, the reason I'd say I love to say Frankfurt is because they have an English coach in Colin Bell, who uh, I've spoken to numerous times since they won that title. I spoke to him just last week, and I know that he was confident going into uh, their first first Well, they're in the last 32 of the competition now. The bigger teams enter the competition a little bit later. So they've now just had their first leg of their last 32 encounter. They won 2-0 in Liège in Belgium. So they will be there or thereabouts. I think you've got to look at Wolfsburg. They strengthened again over the summer. They brought in some real quality. And I think they will be uh, looking to try and reclaim their title that they won back-to-back um, a few years ago. Uh, and never look past Lyon. Leon on their day are the best team in Europe in my mind. They when they are on form, no one can touch them. And they again, they lost a couple of players. They they lost Elise Busoglia and, and Laura Dickenman, who, who ironically went over to Wolfsburg, uh, but they brought in some some really good players to not necessarily like for like replacements. But Claire Levalje, who is one of the brightest prospects in French football, has has come over to Leon, and I think she'll have a big impact. Ada Hegerberg who we spoke about before the World Cup as a player to watch, yeah. she started the season on fire in the, in the league campaign. She scored a hatful against PSG in, in a 5-0 win in the league. So I think when you've got players like that on form, they're going to be a team to look out for in the Champions League. Bayern Munich as well. They're they're making their debut in the competition and they they are a team that are taking women's football seriously. Uh, they, they haven't won a title for something like 30 or 40 years, certainly since the 70s. And now they've won the title and are in the Champions League. They're taking it seriously. They signed Veronica Boquette in the summer who uh, was on the shortlist for the BBC World Player of the Year and is a wonderful player to watch. And, and they've also brought in uh, Christy Mewis who is an American player that many people will know, plays for the Boston Breakers. They've got her on loan till December. So they've strengthened as well. And And I think... Have a, don't don't be too surprised if you see Chelsea ladies do well. Chelsea Chelsea have got a good team. Uh, I know when I spoke to Colin Bell, the Frankfurt coach, he said that was a team that he really wanted to avoid because Chelsea were unseeded because they're making their debut. Uh, so I think Chelsea could surprise a few people, but front runners for me, Leon and Wolfsburg probably, and and Frankfurt won't be far behind.
1: Awesome stuff. And uh, obviously, the viewership has probably dropped off since the Women's World Cup. It's such a big event. So if people were wanting to watch some of those teams you just mentioned or get involved in, in women's football, how how best could they go about that?
5: Yeah, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's difficult. I, I think we are still, despite the, the impact of the World Cup, we are still struggling for women's football in terms of broadcasting. You know, you quite often have to go on the internet and find these streams that aren't necessarily always legal. I'm not going to be go, coming on here to promote where you can find them because that wouldn't be right, but... That, unfortunately, seems to be the common way to find them. Although, in saying that, there are clubs that now tend to stream their games through various websites. The German uh, DFB website has uh, Bundesliga games every week that you can view online, which is really useful. Uh, Eurosport in France quite often broadcast games that involve Lyon or PSG, or certainly semi-regularly do. Um, and if, you, if you're lucky, you might be able to find a stream of them. Um, the NWSO, as I mentioned, is now finished. Uh, the US Women's National Team still have some games remaining in their victory tour off the back of the World Cup, and I know Fox Sports are are broadcasting them. So if you're in the states, you can you can see them. The UEFA Women's Champions League games, as I said, there were a few streams, legal ones, uh, that were being broadcast through various websites and various clubs. The best thing to do is always to look on Twitter. I'd love to be able to give you. Uh, sources to be able to go through but the reality is is that you never really know until uh, a few days beforehand whether they're going to be streamed or not so um best thing to do look on twitter keep an eye out on the teams that you're interested in and, and sometimes you might find that you get lucky
1: all right well massive thanks to you for coming back on we enjoy it as always is there anything you'd like to plug or tell people where to reach you
5: yeah I obviously uh, do my own show uh, i um, you can find uh, the twitter account on at woso zone uh, the show can be downloaded fortnightly at audioboom.com forward slash wosozone uh, and you can um, you can email us if you need to uh, if you've got any feedback or any questions on women's football always happy to to answer them on wosozone at gmail.com all
1: right, massive thanks to Kieran for talking us through all things women football. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit about Liverpool, the signing of Klopp, and what it'll mean for Liverpool. We have Gags on, founder of EPL Index. It's been a few years. How are you doing, man? Hey, Kev. How are you doing, man? Long time? Yeah, Absolutely not too bad, not too bad. Time. We wow. did just record a, a different pod talking a little bit of Liverpool Spurs preview. But yeah, everything's been good. Uh Obviously, very slow week for Liverpool fans. Not much news coming out of there. Pretty underrated story. Jurgen Klopp moved to Liverpool. I don't know if you heard about that. Just what's your initial uh reaction to having a manager like that coming into the club?
6: Who? Jurgen who? <laughs> no. I, I don't
1: know. I think I think this is a song. I'm not sure we need to do it now. But... No, no,
6: no. I'm not singing again. I'm not singing again. If you want to hear me sing, we've got a preview coming out soon on the Amford Index channel. That's where you'll know me from if you do listen in before. But um Yes, I was on this pod, uh, one of the originals, wasn't I, Kev? So it yeah. was a long time ago, I think, kind of um, moved off onto Anfield Index more, doing more work there, and there's, there's like 50, 60 pods there now, which is crazy, crazy, crazy. But yeah, the Jurgen Klopp news is probably the, the, the biggest news we've had since I've been podcasting, so that's that's it's been huge, huge. The sacking of Rodgers... And the announcement of Jurgen Klopp taking over has been absolutely tremendous, tremendous news for Liverpool fans. I think we were all in a bit of a rut and getting really fed up with life, um, watching the team play without any fight. And I think we brought in somebody who who, who really does have have that fight.
1: Yeah, obviously a, a very big signing, and, and we'll get into this with uh, Nina when she joins it on the pod more about formations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you mentioned there. You know, there's been a little bit of divide also within the Liverpool fan base. Are we thinking that Klopp will kind of reunify everybody?
6: Yes, it's already happening. Uh, I think if you look at, I don't know, about, obviously about the stadium. I have a season ticket this year, so I will be at the first home, the first Premier League home game. I'm out of the country for Ruben Kazan, but the 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 big, um, the, the the big um, game is Southampton at home. So. So yeah, we'll find out whether it's, but Twitter-wise, definitely.
1: The Southampton one obviously being an interesting match, as there will be many both Southampton players and Southampton alums uh, facing one another in that one. Are, are we, I know we just discussed it on the preview pod, but are you confident heading into the Spurs match? Do you think he'll have enough time to kind of enact some of his philosophies in what it's going to basically be a four-day week?
6: No, no, no. It's it's
1: to expect like we just
6: spoke about on the other part. It's too much to expect really fast. I think what you will get is the normal thing that you get from all managers, a shot in the arm, you know? Uh, the confidence, the boost, new man in and he's going to be he, he speaks very well. He speaks awesome. I'm sure like you said you're going to speak to Nina in a minute about that stuff. She she'll tell you exactly what he's like and um, what he did for Dortmund and if he can get any of that going, this season will be a decent season.
1: All right, thanks Gags and now we welcome Nina Kowser to the show. Noted Klopp enthusiast and fan of German football overall. We heard Gag's thoughts on just his initial reaction towards Klopp joining the club. As somebody that had already kind of followed his career a bit, what was your initial reaction to him joining Liverpool?
4: Absolutely um, delighted. First of all, um, thank you for having me on this show. Um, Absolutely thrilled. I mean, this is a guy that um, I've admired for such a long time, uh, for what he's done at Dortmund, not even on the pitch, but off it. You know, the man is just charismatic. You've seen him, you know, take Dortmund. Uh, They were in a really, really dark period. And what he's done with them, won two Bundesliga titles, took them all the way to a Champions League final. He was a cult hero amongst them fans. And... Obviously, as a Liverpool fan, it was quite a dark stage when Dortmund were doing really well with him. And, you know, I I kind of looked at what he had with them fans and that club with a bit of an envious eye. Not totally envious, but kind of like, oh, I'd like a bit of that at Anfield because I don't think I've ever had that kind of connection with a manager since Rafa Benitez. Sure, we had Kenny Daglish, but I kind of always knew that that was going to come to an end. He was just there to kind of fix the mess that Hodgson left behind. And now that we've got this guy, I mean, I'm just relieved more than anything. And I'm still in a bit of a trance. I can't believe we've landed this manager.
1: Yeah, obviously very exciting times. Uh, Jumping straight into kind of tactics. We've seen a lot of major outlets reporting that he's going to bring that 4-2-3-1 with the press that he was so well known for at Dortmund. Spoke with Gags a little bit earlier. It doesn't seem like you specifically have the personnel to run a, a system with two wide men do you think that we'll see that four two three one and maybe see Wilk Milner and ings out wide or do you think we'll see kind of a new formation that better suits your players your player group
4: it's a really interesting one because uh yeah the 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 four three two one is obviously his more favored formation and it it did so well for him and obviously last season it failed due to um at Dortmund due to injuries due to uh uh, bad recruits, you know, poor recruiting and just simply not having the players there and he's still stuck by it and this is a bit of a major concern for Liverpool fans but um, I'd like to think that, obviously, um, and I think a majority of Liverpool fans would like to think that he's watched a fair bit of Liverpool Um, whilst he's been off. He's also kind of looked at how we play and sort of devised more, um, you know, more formations and maybe he might be a bit more open to maybe possibly a diamond which obviously suits our players more better but i think the most telling thing will be will, will be when he takes his first game in charge and i think that's when we'll know because right now it's just up in the air he wouldn't even talk about his formations and tactics with the press
6: i, I said this I, I struggled didn't i on the preview pod to predict the team because yeah. i just i was like <laughs> i don't know I don't know what he's going to do. It's a new manager. You just, if people you say, I, I said Jonathan Hardy, the expert, and said he'll stick to 43 1. But because the team doesn't suit it, you just, he, he might, like you, I think you said, Kev, didn't you? He seems like a sharp tool. You know, he's clever. He, he, he If it doesn't suit the team, he might not do it. So. The diamond? Who knows? Who knows? I, I tried to pick a team from 14, 3, 1, but ah, it one. Liverpool
1: fans and the diamond. You guys just love that so much. <laughs>
6: I think women, <laughs> the, Liverpool fans, are all becoming women. They love diamonds.
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a girls and a Liverpool fans' best friend. But, I mean, who, <laughs> who, you know, who, who knows? Really, who who knows? But um, it's going to be really interesting to see whether he's um, sort of learned a, a thing or two whilst he's been off for five months. But I mean, a lot of people are maybe alluding to. Um, like like you said, inks out wide for me that doesn't work because I saw that against Manchester United and for me you're not you're not using his best you know assets in the right way because for me he was redundant out there and he was a waste of space and if and not and we've seen him more effective with the striker like Daniel Sturridge it's just going to be really interesting and you know and it's quite exciting as well because we actually don't know what's in store for us but we know we've got a competent manager just really interesting I mean he could actually play if he does play say a long striker up top I can kind of imagine maybe a Coutinho and a Firmino more tighter to the striker so he's not isolated like we did with Brendan Rodgers where the wide men were really far out wide and it didn't kind of provide enough service to the target man I think Klopp will probably play something a bit more com- uh, compressed
6: mm. I-, I agree to, to get the likely. most
4: out, out of the striker because, you know, if you kind of save and look at Dortmund and you saw Royce and Goetze play um, with Lewandowski, they, they were a lot closer than what, say, Brendan Rodgers had with Firmino and Ings playing off um, off Benteke. They were a lot wider and a lot more isolated. And obviously, he, he knows Firmino. He's come from Germany. He'll know exactly where he needs to play him. And there won't be none of this playing the guy out of position.
6: Yeah. yeah, there's some rumors you, you that Firmino's back as well, uh, hopefully in the squad. So let's see.
1: Let's see if that's true. Yeah, you mentioned Lewandowski there. Klopp obviously known for helping develop great young talent with Royce and Gundogan uh, and, and some of the guys at the back like Matt Salmos, uh, and uh, Subicic. Uh, so are we thinking that we'll see that kind of thing at Liverpool? And which players do you think would most benefit from having Klopp at the club?
4: I think it's um I think a fair few. I mean, if you if you imagine Liverpool Football Club right now, you know we are a team packed with very young players, and you know when when and no disrespect to Brendan Rodgers, but he was pretty much a manager learning on the job in in the sense that his CV wasn't. You know, he didn't have honours to boast about. Yes, he very nearly won us the league, but he finished second. He didn't win it. And and then you're a young player who wants to become something. And then a Jurgen Klopp walks in. And Jurgen Klopp is not a manager who buys world-class talent. He develops it. So if you're a young player and this guy comes in, you are instantly boosted because you think, I could really become something with this guy. You know, this guy might really get the best out of me. This guy isn't learning on the job. He's done it. He's going to try taking us to the next level, so naturally, I think all the players will be super excited. And
6: they would have seen I, him. They would have seen him on yeah, TV. They would well, have seen I mean, his teams as well, wouldn't they?
4: I was just, I was just going to say, you know, he, he he made Dortmund into a bit of a fairy tale force again, and you know, they, they were they were nothing, and he he raised them and built them to be, you know, he, he got them into a final. You know, League, outstanding, yeah. yeah, Champions League final, outstanding achievements. And, and and I think the players that will really benefit and that will absolutely love and probably be rubbing their hands at this at the thought of this guy being here is obviously like, yeah, Emre Jean will absolutely love it. I think also, obviously, Firmino will absolutely love it because obviously it's that German connection, Bundesliga connection. But as a whole, I think a majority of our squad, the young talent will be absolutely... Um, You know, just relishing the thought of playing under this guy because he's the ultimate motivator.
1: All right, and is there any kind of last word we should know about Jurgen Klopp? Anything that maybe the the major media outlets have kind of missed? Well, I'll tell you what, she's just she's 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 so she's so mental about
6: him. We went to. Watch...
4: I'm not that <laughs> mental. It's like, just okay. manager that I've rated for a really long time. Okay,
6: okay, let me finish before you put in. <laughs> she, we went to watch Dortmund together uh, at Anfield uh, last year's preseason, and I will tell you what, mate, she sat next to me and she didn't watch the game. She did not. She had this broken iPhone with a cracked screen, and she kept zooming in to try and take a photo. She's sitting behind the goal in the Ampel Road end. It's like miles away, <laughs> and an iPhone 4s trying to trying to take pictures of it. That's how mad she is about Jurgen Klopp, mate. So basically, it, it wouldn't be. It's safe to say her dreams have come true here with this appointment.
4: Can I just come back in? Uh, Yes, I I, I am a massive Jurgen Klopp fan because obviously of what he's achieved and he's probably one of the most likeable loved managers. He's so infectious. Mm. You see him with the press. You see him with his team. You see him with Dortmund fans and you want a bit of that as a Liverpool fan. He comes to Anfield... And I was sat with my brother. And my brother, again, you know, he he admires Jurgen Klopp for what he's done. You know, he's he's an architect. He builds things. You, you've got to admire that. Mm. It's a hard quality in a manager these days. Loyal as well, something that is very rare in the modern game. And I was speaking to my brother and we were just chatting and uh, I was like, oh, you know what? I would love him as um, Liverpool manager one day. And there was Liverpool fans sat in front of us and they looked back and gave us a bit of a funny look. And I just thought one day I would love him to be Liverpool manager. It's just one of them things. Don't look at me. And, you know, there was Brendan Rodgers and there's Jurgen Klopp. And every single day I'd, I'd pick a, I'd pick a Jurgen Klopp. And I remember when where went um, at, opted yeah. for Dortmund instead of us and Liverpool fans were furious and I remember tweeting out saying if you're a young player who wants to who do you play for? Do you want to play under Brendan Rodgers? Or, no disrespect once again or do you want to play for Jurgen Klopp? I know who I'd pick.
6: I know who they would pick. Everybody would pick the same person.
4: And You know what? I got a lot of stick from Liverpool fans for that tweet. This is way before I got involved with Anfield. You should Dex- retweet it
1: yeah.
4: now. I, I couldn't find it. I tweet way too much but I remember it so <laughs> much stick. And I just thought, no, take your bias aside and look at the team managers. Who would you rather play for?
6: Yeah, Yeah. it makes sense. It does make sense. And I think looking at his first interview uh, and looking at any, any press he's done with Liverpool so far, the internet broke. The internet, pretty much the Liverpool Twitter side of things, the bubble that we live in, broke. It was absolutely uh, euphor—you know, it was euphoria, wasn't it? Like we've had a pod It on is,
4: it. And, and I think as well another thing as well that Liverpool fans should be really excited about is it's been so long since we've had a manager that we can actually believe in. Like you know, you can kind of think, okay, it's not going right, but he'll get it right and actually believe that. we've not had that in the best part of five years since Rafa Benitez was sacked. And this is really exciting time for Liverpool fans because he's going to want to build a legacy. He's going to want to leave something behind.
1: All right. And uh, so final question, where do you end in the table this season?
4: I think with the way things are going and pretty much, I don't think the league is awfully great. And I think anyone can pretty much beat anyone. I've got my sights set on a top four finish. I'm not going to lie, and I also see us doing quite well in Europa as well with um, with Jurgen Klopp because um, he's proven in Europe. So I definitely see us um, you know, crawling up that table. I'd, I'd take a fourth.
6: Yeah, I, I think I think with the manager now proven, he if he if he just gets a good six months on this now, if he get, gets a run going at any point in the season, to be honest, we saw last year how far Liverpool were off at Christmas. And then ten games later, they're uh, in contention for top four. So, you know, it just it's just how quickly can he get it to, to to you know, tick. Tick, clop, tick, tock. Okay, anyway, rubbish. Um <laughs> tick tock yeah. goes the clop. <laughs> yeah, so I just think he will he will get there. He will do it. I don't think it'll take him that long, but not to expect anything miraculous in the first few games. Like I said on the preview, we've done an Anfield Index. We can't expect too much immediately. It's the first game. Take take it easy. You know, you just want to see that belief back in the players, which we will. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think top four is realistic, really is now. I think look at the state of the league, Kev. Um, I think you've seen it yourself. You don't don't think Leicester and Palace
1: are making top four?
6: I think they'll drop, won't they? It happens all the time. There's yeah, Leicester, to
4: Leicester and Palace will drop. I mean, we saw West Ham last season in top four around about this yeah, time last year. Yeah, as
6: well. Yeah. yeah. You know what They're it is? T- their squads yeah. aren't big enough, are they? Their squads, they, yeah. they, they, it's quality. Like, the first 11 looks really good. No yeah. disrespect well, to Palace. Well, we talked about it in the preview thing with
1: Pochettino, is he lost Toby All The World and Wanyama at the same time. And then it just went all downhill from there. Mm-hmm. But not to get too far off track, we had an absolute great time having you on for the first time. So thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, and uh, where could people find you on the internet?
4: I practically live on the Anfield Index. This uh, is the sister site to the EPL Index. Uh, pretty much um, on Twitter, you can. You can follow me if you want. It's entirely up to you. If you can stomach uh, the Jurgen Klopp fangirling. Love it. Love it. It, yeah, loving. It can be a bit unbearable. I'm like the cheerleader for it. Um, my Twitter handle is at El Nina Kausa. And that's pretty much it.
6: She's got her own show, by the way, silly of her not to plug. It's called The Nina Kausa Show on Ambient Index. And you can find it on the AI channel app. There's, There's my, my, my
4: promoter. My promoter <laughs> Gags' like plug is the
1: secondary plug for Nina. <laughs> <All> right, well, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us, guys. And I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thank thanks, you. mate. And that concludes today's kind of mashup episode where we brought to you a whole bunch of different uh, topics and groups of people to talk to you about all things football. Massive thanks to Gags, Nina, Steve, Jay, and Kieran for coming on and talking Uh, Both Liverpool and international football And women's football It was a pleasure having them on I know it was a little different than what you're used to But we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did And we hope you keep listening